Welcome to the Blitz with Rob and Chris. Rob cut it short on me, y'all. I was I was about to start, you know, getting my head, about to start singing along. <laughs> Listen, we got another interview. Got another interview. We got a lot to cover tonight. It's been a while. A couple people called me out via text message about our brief hiatus, our summer break, as they call it. I prefer to call it a spring break. So, uh, you know, we got a lot to get to. Definitely, definitely. R.I.P. time, man, DMX. Uh, we got another special guest in the house. Um, so I'm going to let Rob go ahead and introduce him, and then we're going to get into the interview. All right, listen, this is a personal friend of mine, ladies and gentlemen, former NCAA intern with me. This was about, probably back, what, summer 2007. Uh, went yeah. on to work for Conference USA, then the Oakland Raiders, on to uh, University of California at Berkeley, uh, then to Columbia University. This man is tried and true in college athletics, uh, a topic that's uh, really relevant on the forefront. And after all of that, went on to an uh, organization called the Shadow League and now is the owner of his own company, the Crossover Collective. I'll let him tell you all about it. Ladies and gentlemen, please wel welcome Walter Brock to the podcast. Man, appreciate you guys, man. Rob, it's always good catching up. Uh, mm -hmm. Proud of you, brother, everything that you're working on right now. Mm -hmm. And Chris, great, great, to, great to meet you, man. Same here, man. So what's crazy, Chris, is that like, I don't know the last time I had seen Walter, probably in New Orleans, one of those years, maybe the final four came down there or something like that. And yep. uh, I, I stumbled across the social media. I don't know. I think my phone might have notified me, uh, you know, based on phone numbers. Then I followed him on Instagram and it turned out he was in Miami like two weeks later. And obviously, I don't even know that he knew I was living here. And so uh, we reconnected down here in these Miami streets, these uh, post-COVID Miami streets. Look. <laughs> Thank goodness, when would, when would. Thank goodness for Instagram, because Rob is horrible with the phone. <laughs> I'd be having a lot going on. But, uh, let, whoa, let, let's jump into it, man. Let's tell us a little bit about your background. What got you in the sports? Rob mentioned y'all worked together at the NCAA. Like, how did that come about? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, man. I, I you know, grow, growing up, uh, growing up in the, in the Bay Area and also spent some time in, in Alabama as well. Um, you know, I was, was always big, big into sports, um, was fortunate enough to play uh, college football. So I was a football student athlete. Uh, I played at uh, St. Mary's College of California, and uh, I was actually on the last football team there. So went through as a student athlete, went through the process of a program being dropped and discontinued because of, of funding. Um, wound up getting my undergrad degree from there. And now they're really good in basketball uh, in the West Coast Conference. Uh, wound up transferring uh, to Sacramento State. I had two years left to play football. So I played two years uh, there. Um, and then uh, also uh, I did my grad work uh, as well. Uh, it was actually, it was a blessing in disguise, man, uh, because Sacramento State played in the Big Sky Conference. So we played uh, at Cal, played Oregon State. We played a lot of Pac-12 schools uh, while I was there. Um, and then also I just got exposed to uh, more, more of the business. Uh, my mentor, her name's Catherine Zadonis. She's now associate uh, athletic director at uh, UC Davis. Uh, she, I was sitting next to her uh, at an awards banquet, and she asked me what, what I wanted to do um, after I finished playing. And I told her, you know, I wanted to work in sports. I thought either it was going to be coaching. I uh, had no idea about the athletic administration side, administrative side. And she asked me, uh, hey, do you want to intern, you know, uh, the summer? 
I, I didn't have anything else planned really outside of, uh, you know, training and, and trying to figure out what was the next step. So I wound up uh, interning, you know, with her and, and being a former student athlete uh, and then being able to start off my uh, my work in the compliance area it was huge because, you know, I, I you know, your coaches and the, and the administrators used to always let us know about these different you know, rules and regulations that were in place. But I had no idea, you know, uh, the reasoning or the rationale behind any of it. So actually, I got my start work interning in the compliance department. And uh, then there was an NCA internship that, again, Catherine was like, hey, look, if you want to be in this side of the business, um, uh, an internship like this on this level uh, will help you just kind of catapult you in, in the business. I'm like, man, I'm a kid from the Bay. I'm a student athlete. I have no shot at getting a uh, internship, a national internship. And, uh, man, wound up getting it. Uh, I had some, some people along the way that really helped me out. And uh, the rest was history, man. So I had a chance to work at the NCA office. Uh, in, in the academic and membership affairs area. So Rob and I had a chance to overlap a little bit. Uh, he, he had a, a legal externship at the time. Um, and, uh, but while I was there, I had a chance to build a lot of solid relationships across the, across the uh, uh, department and then also within the NCAA membership. So a lot of people don't know, uh, but there's, you know, division one, II, two, and three that all kind of report up to the NCAA. So with that being said, if you're an intern, uh, if you and if you move and you hustle the right way, you can actually have a lot of relationships and connections in the national office and then also within uh, uh, a lot of the member schools and conferences. So, I, yeah, man, I, I saw it as an opportunity to really kind of get out there and connect. And uh, that's kind of how I got my start in the business. Listen, that was a fun summer. I'm going to tell you, Chris, working at the NCAA, one of the greatest places you could ever work. When you walk into the building, they have the emblem on the floor, the NCAA emblem, and it says play like a champion, but it's a holic play like a champion today, but it's a hologram. So when you walk over, it ripples like water. Talking about the, <laughs> mm -hmm. first of all, when I got the call that I got the internship, goosebumps. They tell me I'm coming to Indianapolis. When you walk in the building the first time and you walk over that and the, the ripples happen, I lost my mind. I mean, days you'll be in there, you'll look up, you see Tony Dungy come walking by your office. You'll just see, you know, this athlete, that coach, like all the power players in sports come through that building at some time. So like well said, I mean, that's it's a great place to work and you just understand the process a lot more than you would have ever thought the, the way that, you know, the NCAA gets a bad rap at times. But once you work there, you understand that really it's just the membership schools that, that make yeah. all the decisions and a lot of voting bodies and a lot of, you know, meetings and things of that nature. Uh, it's nice to hear about where all those billions of dollars they steal it from free labor <laughs> going to, to ripple floor. That's, that's so on that subject, there would be like a Friday, they would just hit you up and they'd be like surprised in the lobby. You get on the elevator and go downstairs. The ice cream man is outside with a truck, ice cream for everybody. I remember the Baconator came out that summer at Wendy's. Word. Boom, they hit us up, go downstairs, a truck. As many free baconators as you want. I had about three of those things in one day. It was it was an awesome, awesome job. And meanwhile, y'all taking yo. Reggie Heisman away. <laughs> yo, and as an intern too, right? I mean, you know, the, uh, we weren't getting a lot of money out there. Um, mm -hmm. So they used to send us emails after a lot of the committee meetings would take place. Mm -hmm. They were like, look, the committee meeting and lunch is, uh, is over and there's a lot of food left. Mm -hmm. So when those emails used to come through, we used to run down <laughs> as interns, man, get all the food and, and all that. But uh and, yeah, and then it, events too, right? Like they might hit you up and be like, I don't, if you can get to Omaha, like we have 20 oh. tickets for the college world series. If, if you guys want to go, there's NCAA track and field, you know, regional event right down the street here in Indianapolis, here are as many tickets as you want to go. It was, it was just a great job. 
Yo, and, and so that that's where I had a chance to really um, kind of excel and meet a lot of people in the business because uh, I had a chance to work the Final Four event uh, mm -hmm. down in um, in San Antonio in 08. That's when uh, it was Kansas and Memphis and uh, uh, D Rose. Rose, Rose right. Oh man, it was yeah. so close. Yeah, they should have won that game. They should have won it. They should have yeah, won it. They missed some free throws down the yeah, stretch. Right. Um, but I, I remember that experience and just being around and um, being on the Riverwalk and seeing Coach Cal Calipari walking and seeing the power that he had. Like all the coaches would stop off and say hello to him. Uh, that's also when I met uh, uh, World Wide West, too, the guy mm -hmm. that's kind of behind a lot of the sports stuff. The and when you would see now, him right? walk, he's mm -hmm. with the Knicks now. Yeah, with the Knicks at the time. Um, like literally every college coach would say hello to him and stop. I'm like, yo, who? Who's this cat? And so right. at the intern, it kind of opened my eyes to like, okay, you have your, you know, you have the administrative side, you have the coaches, but there's also a lot of players mm -hmm. that that are behind the game that you may not always see on on, on the forefront as well. Right. So yeah. then you go actually yeah. to the school side. Um, well, the I guess you go to the conference side, then you go professional yeah. sports, and then the school side. Just kind of tell us a little bit about the difference of like being with a conference versus being with a school, and then being with the Raiders, like a professional organization. Yeah, so so uh, working at Conference USA, man, it they it, 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 it was a blessing working with Conference USA. Uh, it was down in down in Dallas. Uh, I had a chance to um, oversee some of the the regular season sports management and officiating for for soccer, for track and field. Uh, I was an assistant with uh, football and also basketball championships. So I had a chance to um, just connect and meet a lot of people, man. So there was twelve member schools, you know, Conference USA has been through a lot of transitional over the years. Um, and so uh, I, I had a chance to literally work with a lot of athletic directors at each school, uh, a lot of the officials and, and uh, coaches as well. So it kind of expanded the horizon. And, and that's where I learned that the, really the, the power lies in the conference, in the conference mm -hmm. office. So uh, kind of like what Rob mentioned earlier, where the NCAA is really more membership based and focused when it comes to uh, uh, a lot of the legislation that's passed it actually is derived through the conference offices. So the conference office will work with the member schools. Um, and then from there, that's when things kind of get passed up then through to the NCAA. So there's a lot, a lot of power at the conference office, even from a, from a television standpoint, uh, different, you know, the network agreements and stuff that you see with the big 12 or the PAC 12 and all that stuff, that's all driven through the conference office. So you get a chance to kind of get some insight on, on that uh, from that perspective. And then uh, I think the other thing that really stood out was just the, the officiating process. I had a chance to work with a lot of our uh, lead uh, um, officials, uh, administrators. Uh, so everything from kind of, you know, making assignments to different uh, issues and challenges that would take place in different games, uh, ejections that would wow. take place. We would literally have to sit down with our commissioner and the head of a uh, lead official for that sport and kind of review the tape and kind of figure out, okay, he, he, here are the necessary penalties that will be levied because of the actions, right? And mm -hmm. so again, being a former student athlete, not really seeing kind of what happens on the other side, I was able to kind of utilize my student athlete experience to also always try to make sure that the student athletes are positioned in, in the best place. Um, but the conference office really gives you a, a, a wide lens perspective on uh, who gets it, who doesn't get it right. Some schools get it right in terms of how they operate and treat student athletes. Uh, other schools are, are, are kind of a little bit behind, right? And so uh, the conference office just gives you that uh, 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 kind of a, a wider lens um, on kind of what was taking place. And then the uh, Oakland Raiders and then to, to Cal Berkeley. Yeah. So um, 
well, I was at Conference USA for almost almost five years. My mom had some health issues back in the Bay, and so I was looking to make the move and, and transition back home. And um, when I when I started when I thought about a, making a career in college athletics, I really thought about uh, I wanted to become an athletic director. The, the challenge is, especially you know, for if you don't have any revenue experience in terms of generating revenue, mm-hmm. it's really tough to become a, a, a AD. So, um, so although I had the NCA experience, I also had championships and operations experience. I was like, man, I, I need to get the opportunity to kind of generate some revenue. So the Oakland Raiders, Fun man, at the time, fundraising, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, fundraising, uh, marketing, sponsorships, branding, those gotcha. type of. If you if you have that experience, mm-hmm. uh, you can generate re- revenue. Um, you have a clearer path you know, to, to that ADC. So, um, so as I thought about it, man, um, there, they don't always open those positions up for, for us just to be kind of tra- transparent. Um, mm-hmm. if you don't have that experience. And so, uh, the Raiders had a, uh, a group sales, um, and fundraising position in the Bay. And it was a, it was a position where at the time the Raiders weren't doing that well. So they had a lot of empty seats, right? So that's mm-hmm. kind of how group tickets and sales work. Uh, if they have a lot of inventory moving, you have to get creative in terms of figuring out ways to get, you know, families or groups or churches or whatever it may be to come out to the games. Um, and so my thought was, OK, if I get a chance to you know, get in there, I can get creative. I can generate some revenue. I can also build a lot of relationships you know, in, in the Bay Area. That could be a great transition for me. Uh, so they took a chance on me, man. I, I didn't have uh, you. You'll love this, too, Rob. I was actually uh, at Tag Gormley Stadium. Tag I was at Tag Gormley, Gormley in New Orleans. That's right. Yeah, yeah. At Conference USA, we had a, a conference championship, track championship at Tag Gormley, and I got a call from the Raiders like, hey, um, do you want to get a, um, you know, uh, we can fly you out for in-person. Well, no. They said, you can come out for an in-person interview, but we can't pay you. Pay uh, mm-hmm. pay your flight to get out there. So I was like, wait a minute. So that was kind of like one of the first lessons that I got was like, okay. Uh, I, I talked to one of my mentors. like, man, um, I had a great interview with the Raiders, but they don't want to fly me out, you know, for the in-person interview. Um, like, should I do it? And he was like, yo, what, what are you going to do with the extra $400 you have this month? And I was like, ah, you know, I, I don't know, maybe blow it on something. He was like, bro, he said, the first thing I want to tell you, man, you got to invest in yourself. He said, so although they're not going to, you know, pay for you to come out there, invest in yourself and go. And so I did that. And, and then on that trip, man, I wound up meeting, uh, uh, the president at the time, her name's Amy Trask. Um, I wound up meeting, uh, Kiava, uh, Harper Martinez who's now still the, she's like a VP, the Raiders now in Vegas. Uh, but I wasn't supposed to meet any of those people on, on my on my visit. You know, mm-hmm. it was more kind of an informal thing. But when I got in the building, that's how it just kind of all happened. So I, I tell a lot of young people these days, man, like you got to invest in yourself. You also just have to be in the room and in the building, because if you're in the room, it's, it's easier for you to wiggle and, and to kind of, you know, connect with some po- folks right. uh, compared to if, you, if you're not there. So so the, the Raiders experience, man. Uh, oh, man. Uh, uh, the Raiders fan base is so passionate. Uh, so I had a chance to build some good relationships in the Bay and also at the time down in L.A. because a lot of fans would literally be spending, you know, thousands of dollars driving up, flying up, tailgating, whatever it was to, you know, uh, uh, spend their weekend with the Raiders. So how, I, long, I, how long of a drive is that? Uh, it's about five and a half, six hours mm. from from, oh, uh, from L.A. Oh, wow. to, to the Bay. Yeah. Mm. And so literally, man, I, I would be working with fans, right, um, mm. and season ticket holders. And they were like, look, I have three buses. 353 passenger plus buses full. We want to come up. We want to find a, you know, we need parking passes. We need X, Y, and Z. So I would literally coordinate their entire, you know, kind of trip. So that was one side of it. 
I would also work with um, uh, groups like Visit Oakland, so like different visit, uh, visitors bureaus that would have like executives coming in town or different groups. So I would kind of coordinate that. So by the time I looked up, I had a pretty good uh, uh, Rolodex of relationships, you know, whether it was for uh, folks from like local civic and city government in, in the Bay uh, mm-hmm. or people just coming in town. And so it, it, it was a great experience, man, work, working for the Raiders. Um, and I also had a chance to kind of get that behind the scenes of uh, how a professional team operates and kind of the differences mm-hmm. between college and, and the professional side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, it, it, it was great um, uh, working there. So while I was there, uh, the Raiders started to improve a little bit more um, and they started to block off some more seats. And so when that happens, uh you know, group ticket sales kind of kind of start to kind of dwindle a little bit. But then what I did was I, I was able to uh, then transition and also did some work uh, on the partnership side, because sometimes when you're working with different companies and corporations, they don't just want tickets. They also want to be able to kind of partner uh, with, with the uh, with the teams as well. So I was able to bring in some deals that kind of had the uh, uh, the partnership side of it and also the ticketing side. Um, and then I, I just kind of hit a ceiling and I was like, OK, man, if I want to continue to grow, what, you know, what's the best route for me? And so at that time, um, uh, UC Berkeley, Cal, they had just built um, and renovated a Memorial Stadium. So that, that's their that's their football stadium. So they added uh, some some three level kind of premium level suites um, and they needed some folks to come in to to help sell them. Uh, but the, 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 the crazy thing was on the college side, there was a huge donation component to it. Right. So literally for a pair of seats at, at the top level, um, for, for and you would have them for about 15 to 30 years, depending on the, the duration, uh, could go from anywhere from 125,000 oh, wow. to to yeah, to, to about yeah, 300,000, depending on how many seats you needed, right? Mm-hmm. And so, the people that were spending the money on those seats were, were big time donors and people who uh, it was bigger than just Cal football, it, it was more about the affinity to the, to the university, um, okay. as well. So, my thought process was like, okay man, if I want to be that athletic director, these are the donors and the people that I need to get in front of to kind of connect with to prove that I can kind of do some stuff. Man, uh, if I, that, that my Berkeley experience, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for, for uh, my Berkeley experience. I, I was there for a total of uh, about five years. And while I was at Cal, um, it got to the point where I had a chance to move down to Los Angeles and we opened up a, um, a, a regional fundraising office in Santa Monica because there was a huge you know, alumni base that was here in LA. So I literally would work with a lot of alums to, to bring in donations you know, for the athletic department um, and also to come up to, to different games. And so I transitioned from being kind of a premium sales representative to then becoming a the director of major gifts um, for Cal. And so uh, was raising money for athletics primarily. Then I, I started realizing that, again, if you're, if you're going to be spending money and, and uh, creating opportunities for student athletes. You also have interest in other areas on campus. So I was doing like a lot of blended gifts where I was working with other officers mm-hmm. in student, you know, student development or student life, whatever it may be. And then they were like, yo, uh, we want to do some work down in LA. You have a good relationship with a lot of donors down there. Do you want to move down? I was like, I'm like, yeah, you know what I mean? Cause I'm from, I'm from the Bay, but you right. know, LA to me was always, you know, my sister used to live down, uh, down, down here. Um, but I, I saw the opportunity. And so, uh, I came down, we opened up a fundraising office in Santa Monica and uh, just started connecting with a lot of donors that were working in, in a lot of different uh, fields and everything. So again, from a personal standpoint, it, it just put me in a whole different realm in terms of conversations. And also it made me feel more comfortable that I could be in the room. Cause right. sometimes as you all know, right? 
Right. Uh, we don't always get those opportunities to, to be in the room. And so sometimes when we're in there, we like, okay, what do I do? What, what do I say? What I found was that, man, there's a lot of, we have so many commonalities, man. Um, no matter you know where you're from, uh, what your background is, if you're able to kind of have conversations and put yourself out there, um, you know, you're able to kind of navigate. So that, that's kind of what I learned from, from that experience. And that's crazy. So you are in LA. Now you told me a little bit about um, what you ended up doing at Columbia in New York and how pivotal that was to what you're currently doing now. So I want to get into a lot of the stuff that you're doing now because it's really dope and awesome. But just explain what you left Berkeley to do in New York yeah. at Columbia, and then we'll transition into how that like position you for what you're doing right now. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So, uh, man. Uh, so, so I'm in uh, in L.A. Things are going good. Not looking for any opportunities. Um, and then one of my mentors uh, reached out to me and said that he was connected to the athletic director at Columbia University. And uh, he shared kind of what they were building. So we had a, a couple conversations and I was like, man, um, the opportunity to kind of oversee a, uh, a fundraising department with it being an Ivy League uh, school um, and, and being a brother, man, like to be to be honest, like those type of opportunities don't kind of come by, um, you know, uh, uh, that, that often. And so, uh, at, at the time, you know, I, I was like, okay, man, you know, if this experience works well, this could really set me up to become an athletic director one, but then also I had met, you know, made a, a ton of trips to, uh, to New York and I always loved it in terms of visiting the energy and all that. I never knew there was going to be an opportunity for me to live there. Um, but I was like, yo, if there ever is, I, I'll have to kind of take a look at it. So, Wound up, you know, making that transition, uh, overseeing um, the uh, the athletic fundraising side of the house. Uh, great opportunity, connected with so many good people out, out in New York. We lived in Harlem um, at the time. My, my fiance came with me now. My, now my wife. Uh, so we had, had had a good time in Harlem, and, and that energy of New York kind of rubs off on you. Um, uh, but as I was there, man, we we uh, one of the campaigns that we had it was a mental health uh, campaign where we were kind of building out some resources for our student athletes. And um, they had already uh, identified and brought on, uh, brought in a producer to kind of help kind of develop the story and also the kind of the campaign ask, you know, for the donors. So while I'm working with the producer, I'm coming up with a lot of the questions, the themes. I'm uh, also working with the student athletes and working with the donors. So I turned to the guy, to the producer. I'm like, yo, is this, is this what producing is? And he's like, yeah, yeah, this is what producing is. Like, you're doing a great job. And I'm like, oh, so, so a light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, yo, I've been producing all my life. I've been, you know, connecting the dots. I've been pulling things together. I've been, you know, uh, making stuff happen. And I was like, okay, got it. And, and I really love the, the the content side of things. And so while I was there, man, uh, there was something that was tugging at my heart. And so I, I wound up actually um, making a transition and, and leaving uh, Columbia while I was st still in New York, not really fully knowing what that next step was going to be. But I knew that there was something a little bit more deeper that was inside of me. And uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how how I made I made that that transition from uh, from Columbia. Well, real quick, you, you were major gifts, you know, at UC Berkeley. Now you you went to Columbia. Give us give the people like say something tangible. What was the largest gift you brought in? Ooh, man, um, I, I would say the the largest gift that I was a a, a part of was there was a one point five uh, million gift that we brought in um, and that was uh, towards uh, like an athletic study center uh, piece okay. that we did at, at Cal. Um, there was also a, a couple other, other, you know, uh, gifts that, that, were, that came through as well. But 
that that showed me kind of the level of money as well, right? right? And it also right. showed me kind of my mindset and my thought about money was on a completely different scale compared to some of the folks I was working <laughs> right, with. Right, right. But but it also piqued my interest of like, yo, okay, if there's that much money out there, like what are these folks doing? You know, mm-hmm. that, that's helping them kind of get position themselves in that area. So mm-hmm. again, like being being you know being a brother, getting a chance to kind of have those type of conversations and be in the room and put those asks kind of really helped me kind of have a different perspective on on the power of money and also kind of the, the level of people that I, that I was dealing with. And then the role it plays in college sports, too, you know, because working on that Absolutely. NCAA side, I mean, you're you're with the schools, but you don't really see the money funneling into the school till you get to the school side. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and again, it, it's, it's challenging um, because, you know, uh, for a lot of people uh, of color, right, um, you, you'll, you'll see us represented in academic advising. You'll see us represented in student athlete services that's working directly with the student athletes. Um, but in terms of the, the development and fundraising and the money side of it, uh, and it's starting to kind of change a little bit. You're starting to get a couple. I have a couple of cats that are working at different schools that are now ADs and also uh, that are, uh, have had fundraising backgrounds. But a lot of times we don't get exposure to that. And right. so mm-hmm. I, I really felt like it was a, a blessing for me to get that exposure. Um, and also now I'm able to kind of share that with other, you know, young professionals that are kind of coming up as well. Gotcha. All right, so, now, so, so you do all of producing while you're at Columbia. Um, tell me how, you know, you decide to create the crossover collective and, and what you guys actually do, how you produce what you produce. Yeah, man. So, so the, the missing part to that is, so I'm still in New York, uh, and, and I had a, a chance to connect with a gentleman, um, by the name of, uh, Keith Klinscales. And so Keith um, was the founder, one of the founders of Vibe Magazine uh, back in the day with Quincy Jones. Um, and also he was one of the prominent um, executives at ESPN around uh, the 30 for 30s as well. Um, so he uh, created a company called The Shadow League uh, based in New York. They tell sports stories from a cultural perspective. And so essentially uh, I was able to work with uh, work with him and his group. Um, and I, I kind of say it was almost like a somewhat of a glorified internship a little bit, right? I wasn't getting paid a ton of money, um, but I was getting access to kind of learning the, the content side, especially the branded content side of the world. Uh, the Shadow Leaf office was based uh, in uh, the Black Enterprise office in New York as well, right off of Madison Avenue. So I had a chance to literally connect with uh, a lot of the talent and guests that would come in because the Shadow League will have also uh, an opportunity to interview um, you know, some of the uh, guests that will come in. So then from there, uh, a lot of the creatives, a lot of the shooters, a lot of the editors, I was a sponge, man. I sat down and kind of listened to kind of what they were doing, kind of, you know, figured out where some of the, uh, some of the gaps were, and we were able to do some, uh, uh branded partnerships. We did some work with uh, Spotify, we, uh, around a uh, podcast development. We created a couple of different series as well, um, that I, I was able to kind of, you know, help and create as well. So while I was there, I, that kind of gave me my confidence. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Although I don't come from a, you know, a, a journalistic, uh, a traditional journalistic or a content background, everything that I've been doing, I've been exposed to it. Like I've been storytelling when it comes to working with, um, you know, working with donors for them to realize like what their impact is going to be if they wind up giving. I've been working with, you know, student athletes, helping them. And, and, and everything is all, always about the narrative. And so uh, I was able to go from the Shadow League and I was like, OK, uh, when, when my wife and I uh, decided to move back to. Uh, LA because we uh, uh, we were respecting our, our little guy. Uh, I was like, okay, th- this is what I want to do. I want to get into the content space. So, but when I moved from L- uh, from New York to LA, 
the, the path wasn't clear yet um, in terms of what it actually was. Um, but that, that was that was the vision. Gotcha. And yep. so when you get out there, uh, tell us how you come up with this concept for the crossover collective and what the crossover collective does. Yeah, man. So I, I had a chance to connect with my business partner, um, Steph Rollins, uh, while I was at the Shadow League. At the time, he was working with this agency called Cashmere uh, based in L.A., and uh, he was overseeing BMW's national multicultural account. So uh, I had reached out to him on LinkedIn. Shout out to LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 you know um, sometimes these social media platforms comes in handy, comes in right? Handy, right. For sure, right? Um, and, and a lot of times it's not even before you getting a job itself. You know, sometimes you can connect with your future business partner. You have no idea. So, yeah, definitely shout out to LinkedIn. Uh, but we had a chance to have some conversations. When I came back to L.A., we sat down, um, grabbed a meal, grabbed a drink. And he was telling me about some of the work that he was doing. And, and the great thing was that so, so when you work on the sports side and uh, professional and college side, it's kind of considered the property side. Um, and, and he was working on the branding side, uh, kind of pulling all, all the partnership deals together on that end. So we literally had like opposite. Uh, experiences, but we would kind of collectively work together, right? And so that's kind of what will happen as we're having conversations. So the first partnership that we were able to uh, bring in uh, was the uh, the Drew League. So the, so the Drew League, uh, LA-based uh, pro-am uh, league uh, that has done so much in the community and so much in the basketball world. Um, and so uh, we, we they're still our client now. And so we work with them from a branding standpoint and marketing perspective, but they were our, our first client uh, that we were able to pull together. Uh, so that was 2019, uh, the championship game. We were able to pull uh, uh, BMW integration, and we did some stuff with them. And then from there, we were able to uh, uh, kind of uh, kick off things with crossover. I, I know I know. Rob got a couple of questions, but I, I want to get a little bit of background on the name. Where does Crossover Collective come from? Yeah, man. So so Crossover Collective comes from, uh, you know, when, when you think about sports, when you think about music, when you think about culture, there's so much overlap, right, uh, with everything. And so I, I think a lot of times in the branding and agency world, sometimes uh, the focus is so narrow um, that you miss some of the low-hanging fruit and opportunities to do dope stuff uh, that's right there that may be in, in different genres. Um, so it's that. And then also just kind of giving the different experiences that both uh, my business partner and I have um it, it felt like the crossover piece made made sense and then just kind of the playoff of sports you know um you know the crossover dribble uh, uh some of the crossover steps and things of that nature so that, that's kind of what the the uh, crossover name uh came from cool so so listen this is where it gets exciting because i go on your instagram page and every day i see <laughs> you, you know you, you got somebody else cool i was on there the other day chrissy was darren wall and lil wayne just pop up out of nowhere today i think it was matt barnes was on there so that's my but, dog right there that's my dog well right here's my dog alvin kamara signed with quality control tell me about what you guys did for quality control uh debo samuels alvin kamara yeah so um and shout out to them man they they were one of our a uh, big clients off the off the ground, man. So last year, right? So, so so let me, let me back up a little bit before I jump into them, because I want to set this up real quick with crossover. So we literally started off as a, uh, a heavy experiential, right? So Drew League last year. Oh uh, no, uh, yeah. We also worked with Nike, and we did a five k that ran through Crenshaw during Black History Month. Uh, we worked with uh, uh, Chase Bank, and we were doing some um, things around the uh, heart of it all. Uh, with, with Kevin Hart's initiative and also Steph Curry in the Bay. So we literally were in the Bay right when uh, everything kind of hit with COVID. So we were really, we had some other things lined up. But we we're going to be very, you know, exper uh, experiential in the events. COVID hits, we have to pivot into content. 
And so at the time with everything going on, people weren't traveling, right? People weren't traveling. So we couldn't shoot things in person initially. But what we were able to do was kind of take some of the content, pre-existing content that was out there and kind of pull it together and kind of put our own spin spin to it, right? And so that's what we, that's initially what we did at first for uh, for, for quality control um, was be able to, with them starting up their, um, their, their sports side of the house, we, we felt that it was going to be important for them to make sure that the same look and feel that the, the, the Migos have or Little Baby in terms of that kind of entertainment value, uh, the same thing had to take place for the for the athletes. And so uh, we literally were able to find and identify some clips uh, and we pulled a, a piece together for, for, for Alvin. Uh, then they mentioned to us that they were uh, having, having conversations with Debo, Debo Samuel. So we were able to pull together uh, the actual welcome video for, for Debo uh, when he decided to go with them from a marketing standpoint. So we played off of the Debo name. So we kind of put some clips in there from Friday, you know, kind of, you know, uh, talking about his chain and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, right, the, the kind of the cultural overlaps and, and, and pieces that we put into our content, that's, that's what separates us. I feel like mm-hmm. from like more kind of the traditional uh, kind of kind of media and content houses is that we're able to kind of pull some of those things in to make things you know, kind of relevant. So that, that's how it started off uh, kind of working with, uh, with, with QC. I, I know you also have one with uh, Tommy Hilfiger and uh, Lewis Brinson, I believe, center fielder for the uh, Miami Marlins. Yeah, man. Yeah, shout shout out to uh, shout out to Lou uh, down in Miami, man. He he's a rising uh, outfielder for the Marlins, and uh, when we had a chance to connect with him uh, down in in, uh, in Miami, uh, the first thing that both uh, uh, Steph and I said, man, my business partner was like, "Yo, there should be some fashion things that he's doing, man, because he's like six four, six five, uh, has the frame, um, and also he had mentioned that he you know he's looking at kind of doing some some different things uh, in in that, in that space, and so uh, man." Literally, what what happened with that situation is that he already had an opportunity. He was working with a, a stylist, her name's Sandra, uh, down uh, out of Miami, um, and they had this partnership with with uh, with, with uh, Tommy Hilfiger, but they had no one to, to capture the content around it in the story. So we were able to come in, um, sit down. We worked with uh, Andy Hilfiger uh, and Carlos Campos. Shout out to them, man. They're, they're super super cool guys. And and like, what a lot of people don't know about Andy Hilfiger is that Andy. Uh, worked with Tommy, obviously, to kind of build the brand, but he's the one that was really making the connections with, um, you know, uh, Jam Master Jay back in the day, uh, the Russell Simmons, the Puffs, like everyone that was rocking the gear back in the day, that was Andy, because Andy comes from a, a music background, comes from a TV and movie production side, so he had access to a lot of the folks in the, in the culture. Um, so he would just literally bring the gear out, you know what I mean, and, and, and kind of get it going. So we were able to, while Lewis was there, shooting we were able to kind of get some storytelling narratives around some of the history around this vintage this time he'll figure vintage collection uh, and we were able to build out a story uh, around him so outside of just getting you know getting fitted and getting a, a, a suit we were able to kind of build a narrative so that now he was able to actually kind of put that out there uh, mlb.com actually picked up the uh, picked up our piece in our story um, and now he has a few brands that are now looking at, at him uh, in the off season so that, that's a great example of, of kind of why we work with athletes and, and agents in terms of building out the narratives and the stories uh, is because like in this day and age, if you're not intentional about your messaging and about your narrative and your content, uh, people will uh, one, overlook you uh, or two, just not know uh, what, you know, what your interests are. So you have to be very intentional about it. And so that's kind of an example of us identifying, you know, okay, hey, look, he wants to get into fashion. Cool. This is already kind of happening. Let's figure out a way to, to storytell around it to kind of create a bigger opportunity. Definitely, definitely.
So how'd you end up with Lil Wayne the other day? I, I got to know this backstory. <laughs> I got to hear this story. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so uh, one of our, our production partners, man, um, shout out to our guys with the Players Company. The Players Company is, is a group uh, that is was founded by uh, Sheldon Day. Sheldon Day is a defensive tackle for the Cleveland Browns right now. Notre Dame guy, the 49ers. Right? Yeah. Yeah, no, There you go. Yeah, Notre Dame guy. Yep, yep. That's, uh, that's our guy. And also Amir Carlisle, who also played at Notre Dame, was a receiver. Um, and now is one of like the top uh, sports performance coaches uh, coaches uh, out of the Bay Area. Um, so they created the, the players company to uh, help, you know, other players, you know, help invest and kind of manage their, their money. So that's one side of the house. The second side of the house is also they have a, a content side and, and they do a lot of storytelling. So we, we've been shooting with them uh, since last year, kind of pulling some things together. So essentially uh, a part of this series called the Players Day Off series Um we had, uh, you know, they had reached out to, to Wayne. We were supposed to shoot, shoot Wayne in Miami, um, but uh, he, he kind of hopped on a, uh, a skateboarding kind of tour or something like that kind of happened. So the dates got mixed up there. Um, so it had to move to L.A. So during that time period, it was like, OK, I also knew that Darren Waller um, is signed to Young Money uh, APAA. That's uh, the Young Money agency side of it. And, you know, Waller's story, if you guys aren't, aren't familiar, man, so it's so dope, mm-hmm. man. Uh, in terms of his redemption story, his comeback, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and um, you know. Uh, Just for people who don't know, I believe he suffered from alcoholism. It was kind of on his last leg. I think John Gruden gave him a shot with, uh, yep. with the, Raiders, the Raiders. And he was at the yeah. bottom of the roster. And now he's like a, a Pro Bowl tight end. Yeah, Pro Bowl tight end. Yeah, man. To the point where he he played at Georgia Tech, uh, got drafted by, I believe, the, the Ravens. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Had some, uh, you know, some, some issues off the field to the point where he was uh, out of the league for about a year. He was working out Sprouts, the grocery wow. store, uh, mm-hmm. for a little bit, right? And then you know, cleaned himself up, got back, and now he's at a Pro Bowl level. So we were mm-hmm. able to – so I, I you know, reached out to um, his management and his staff, and I was like, yo, uh, is there a way that we can kind of connect, you know, him him with Wayne if it hadn't happened before? Because a, a big part of Waller's uh, sobriety and also things that have kept him, you know, going is music. So I was like, man, he, you know, if there's a way to kind of pair that together. So make a long story short, man, he was in Vegas. We were able to get him to come out and shoot with us for a day. Uh, so we did everything from uh, um, stories behind the ink, kind of, you know, uh, some of the uh, the body art and ink that he has. We told some stories around that. Uh, he's big into yoga and meditation. So we did uh, uh, that some stuff at Venice Beach. And then at the end of the night, um, we connected him uh, with, uh, with Wayne at the studio, and they had a great conversation. And Waller actually uh, wound up recording a song as well that will kind of come out a little bit later on uh as well so yeah it was it was dope. and, and that's a real inside moment inside information man. right there that's inside information we got a down yeah. wall track dropping soon <laughs> inside info um but we man, might we might about, need to get the Darren Waller track uh, premiered on 979 the plug i'm just putting that out there there you go <laughs> our intro and, music man the one thing I, I would say about about Wayne man is uh you know growing up you know, being from the Bay, there's a huge, and my dad's from New Orleans originally, so there's a huge New Orleans influence in music in, in the Bay. Um, Master, so P. I, I, Master P. came, yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, I used to listen to Wayne, the Hot Boys, BG. I mean, this goes on and on and on, right? Um, and, and so, and, and I think Wayne is about, you know, 38, 39, something like that. So, yeah, he's, right. yeah, he's our age, right? So I feel like we all kind of grew up together. So being able to be at this point now to kind of have some conversations and be in the room and, uh, what was a, was a real surreal moment for sure. So, whoa, give me your college experience with the NCAA, with, you know, with Conference USA, Cal Berkeley, Columbia. Now you're doing this content piece with the new rules 
being implemented by the NCAA with the name, image, and likeness. You're hearing stories like Gus Mel's on it, and UCF is talking about putting Twitter handles on on the players' jerseys. Um, where do you see uh, crossover collective entering this space, and, and do you see an opportunity for y'all? To get oh, it? and and by the way, FSU did just announce that they are actually going to think be the first school they have their own department. I think it's going to be dedicated to the right to likeness issues for the players, helping them market themselves through the school right on out as this program unfolds. They, they need to with that six and six program. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have FSU and also USC as well. USC is partnered with a, a branding uh, company that's going to be in-house. And they're going to be doing a lot of, um, you know, video shoots and, and content strategy for the student athletes as well. So no, it, it's the wave, man. It's the wave. And I'm actually, I'm happy uh, for, for student athletes because now it's time to, to maximize it. And to be honest, I really think, you know, for the non-revenue sports, uh, so outside of football and basketball, I see that there's really going to be some huge opportunities, especially for our young ladies and our women um, who are basketball student-athletes, track student-athletes, volleyball, whatever it is. Uh, I think there's going to be some huge opportunities, especially when you think about right now, as a student-athlete, the, the amount of time that you have is already limited. Um, it's tough for you to get a, a, a part-time, let alone a full-time job at all, right? Um, but when you look at how social media is set up right now in terms of being like a micro influencer or just an influencer, I think that's going to be the, the sweet spot because uh, there are a lot of, you know, uh, athleisure brands and athletic brands and all the type of stuff, right, that can be a really good fit uh, uh, for student athletes. And I think there's going to be some sweet spots. So, so with that being said, um, there's content that's going to be needed uh, to create. And also there has to be some strategies in place to make sure that you can maximize it. So I feel like from a crossover standpoint, I think, our biggest thing, uh, we, we're going to start with education, is being able to educate athletic departments on where the opportunities are, um, and also with student-athletes, helping them understand uh, the opportunity that, that, that that's at hand right now, um, being able to, you know, uh, help them kind of develop, you know, content and create their narrative off the field, who they are, um, because the way that we kind of approach things already, even with our professional athletes, we, we take a look at three things. We take a look at their... Um, where they grew up, their home market, hometown market, where they played their college ball, and then where they played a professional, um, you know, uh, uh, ball as well, right? So if we kind of take that same approach with student athletes, you know, where they're from, there's already going to be a, a, an affinity for them, uh, and the college market, there's a ton, a ton of alums and businesses that I'm sure will want to work with some of the student athletes. So I think it's really about kind of educating them, uh, understanding where the low hanging fruit is, and creating a strategy around that process. Because the biggest thing about social. Uh, which I'm learning, right? I'm I'm just now kind of really getting into that uh, is consistency, consistency around it, and also kind of what are you trying to get across? And I think if you have some type of strategy, um, you know, you're able to kind of reach your goal a little, little bit better. So I think that's that's where I think crossover will be able to come in and, and help a lot of student athletes and also college programs. And and do you know as of yet has there been any communication about like what type of business arrangements you'd be allowed to enter into with student athletes? Yeah, so that, that's kind of what, what's happening right now is that the NCAA is being uh, a little bit more clear in terms of kind of what those relationships can be, can or cannot be. Um, and I think over the next few months, it, it'll, it'll uh, be a little bit more uh, apparent of what that is. But you, you've already seen it, right? There's already some companies, uh, again, like USC uh, um, and FSU, some other schools that are already kind of partnering, uh, bringing uh, and kind of outsourcing the content. Um, but in terms of kind of maximizing the revenue or capping that, I think that's the next step now where the NCAA is trying to figure out kind of where that sweet spot is and, and how they'll be able to kind of monitor it. Because again, mm -hmm. um, as a compliance 
again, that's kind of where I got my start on the compliance side. I know Rob, that compliance and all that stuff is special to you with, right. your, with your legal legal background. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's a lot of monitoring that's gonna have to take place, right. and it's already a full time job. Plus, right. you know, I mean, to kind of monitor everything else. So I don't I don't know kind of the, yeah, the compliance departments are going to have to the compliance departments are going to have to expand. I remember talking to somebody in compliance because legal was slightly separate from compliance when I was at the NCAA. Mm-hmm. And so we would deal with like actual legal issues in terms of like I remember when I was there, the NIT contract for T-shirts. I think the NIT, that was the year that the shirt got spelled wrong or something like that. Okay. So then we had to like renegotiate contracts with these people and they had failed on the contract and all this. But then you had the compliance side. And so we were in regular communication with those people just because they were also lawyers. And I remember being told that most complaints come from rival schools and angry ex-girlfriends, right? And so <laughs> the reality is when people get money, they're not supposed to get. When they get favors and benefits, they're not supposed to get. The only way the NCAA can investigate is if somebody makes a complaint. Well, now you have this whole new landscape of a place that money can come from. And mm-hmm. how do you, as the NCAA, and then how do you as Crossover Collective, make sure you stay on the right side of whatever rules are put in place to make sure you're not doing anything, you know, that because there's going to have to be some limitations that are placed on the right to likeness. Um, and what, because otherwise a school like Alabama can just, right set up all of their players with local television contracts for all the used car dealerships. Cause that's what they're doing anyway, right? They're giving the kids jobs at the local car dealerships that they don't show up for. And that's how they get a monthly payment, right? So now they don't even have to show up. They can just be the spokesperson for all the different local businesses. And now you have a competitive advantage, which creates uh, a competition issue. And that's where I think the NCAA is gonna have to get in um, and, and make some rules. Yeah, man. I think that's going to be the the biggest challenge, man. When it comes to recruiting, I mean, it's already um, it, it's already challenging, man. When you look at the Alabamas, the SCs of the world, and then you look at uh, your Conference USA's and right. your MAC schools, then you look right. at um, some of your Ohio Valley Conference and your 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 MEAC and your SWAC schools. Right. Like the gap is widening so much, and now that student athletes can get paid, uh, well can maximize their, you know, uh, their image and likeness, uh, depending on the school that you go to, uh, the, the more likely uh, you'll be able to kind of attract better partners or brands, right? And so right. that that's going to be something that's, uh, yeah, I mean, the gap's already going to be wide in there. But from, from our end, um, that's why we want to re- work really directly with uh, with the schools, um, from again, from an education standpoint, uh, and then being able to kind of educate and see how we can work with them directly so that we're you know, uh, from a compliance standpoint in, in hand. And again, that's not going to be the focus of our business. Uh, our, our focus is really going to be more on the still on the, on the content side and everything else that we're doing. But if there's some ways that we can really jump in to help student athletes, we will definitely will. I, I, do, I do see like a, a a possible benefit to some of the smaller schools, like like a U of H who are in, who's in Houston, uh, mm-hmm. being able to give them some kind of competitive advantage to to compete against a UT or Austin or you know right. a, a Texas. Yeah, now you're in the bigger city with five exactly. million people and all the businesses and different partnerships that they can get. Right. that maybe you don't get in Austin, although Austin's trying to be a tech hub. But still, I mean, yeah, you know, all of a sudden, right. you know, their endowment and the money that flows through UT, there's a now a balancing act that happens because I'm in a city with five million people and I'm exactly. the biggest. Exactly. True. For sure. 
But we, yeah. we, man, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Well, we got a couple of other things we want to cover on the back end of the podcast. Man, we really look forward to seeing what Crossover Collective has coming, has in store for everybody. Listen, I'm going to be listening for that Down Waller album. I want to hear this, <laughs> this little Wayne or, or song. I'm going to be listening for this little Wayne Down Waller interview. Uh, give them a follow on the gram. Uh, give them your, your social media stuff so they can follow you. Yeah, so uh, Crossover Collective is uh, at uh, C R O S S O V R uh, underscore uh, collective. Um, so it's a crossover uh, uh, minus the E uh, underscore collective. And then my personal is uh, W J Brock. So again, that's uh, W J Brock. Appreciate it. Well, man, look, I I'm looking forward to that Super Bowl commercial next year by Crossover Collective. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, let's speak it, man. Speak it, yeah, man. To be honest, well, like, like, honestly, everything that we're doing right now, man, uh, if you would have told me that we would be in this position uh, uh, this, this quickly um, about a year and a half, two years ago, I, I would have been like, come on, man. So uh, uh, really, 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 really thankful and grateful. And, and I really feel like you got to put, put, put it out in the atmosphere and, and believe it. For sure. 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 Yep. Appreciate it. Well, right, we thank right, you for having me. Thanks okay. for coming on. Thank you guys. Thanks a lot. Right, man. We we got about twelve minutes left yeah. in the podcast. We've been absent for a while. We apologize to the people. So much good stuff's been going on um, while we've been away. I think I think we got to start with Deshaun Watson, right? Yeah, and we got to. That's been the big story. I think we do because, like, with me and you, we've been going back and forth from the very beginning on Deshaun Watson. So I think it's only fitting that that's where we start this conversation. So, so okay, legally, what we talking about, bro? It's Listen, legally, you know, legally, there's 22 women, let's say, right? Yeah. We're not talking about a Harvey Weinstein situation because he's not accused of rape, right? right? And so typically when you're talking about the actual conduct that he's accused of, you're talking about some form of sexual assault, which the type of sexual assault that he's charged with is usually going to be punishable by some very short jail sentence or probatable jail sentence, likely potentially still a felony, you know, if you actually touched another human being with your genitals, right? Un unwanted from their part, right? right. And, and when you're talking about 22 people, now you are pushing yourself up against potential, some smaller portion of jail time. But we're not talking about a Bill Cosby sentence. We're not talking about a uh, uh, yes. R. Kelly situation, Harvey Weinstein, yet, because there's been no actual allegations of forced sex. So on that end, he's in a better situation. But like we've talked about this before, the commissioner's power is best interest of the league. So the commissioner does not need a conviction. The commissioner doesn't need it to be rape versus sexual assault. The 22 women, the civil suit, the fact that they put all of their allegations inside of a complaint, a civil complaint, is, is likely enough for some type of suspension. And what we've seen a lot in these situations is indefinite suspensions. So that's kind of where my head is at in terms of what we expect. I think that, you know, he's facing, listen, I think he kind of already has passed the point where he should have settled and paid out. Yeah. So civilly, I think he's facing a huge potential civil settlement down the line because these women now, with 22 of them being on the on the hook, now you're talking about a large payout. Then I think he's probably talking about an indefinite suspension that might run either a big portion of this season or the entirety of this season. Yeah. And then he his Really, his best bet at this point, I think, is just to hope 
that the police don't decide to charge him for some of these 22 allegations. Because at that point, now you're talking about like, can you really go to trial against 22 different people? Right. And at that point, if you enter a guilty plea, potentially, I haven't looked at the statutes in there. in Houston, maybe you registered a sex offender, maybe you're a felony sex offender. Like that's all bad. Yeah. So he like this is this is potentially a really bad situation. So while I say it's not Harvey Weinstein, R. Kelly, Bill Cosby, it still is potentially career ending, yes. career altering, career damaging. It has the, the potential for all three of those. Listen, I'm a conspiracy theorist. Right. So initially, my first reaction was, man, this man demands a trade. A couple months later, Texas don't want to you know, give him the trade. Now all this stuff comes out. No priors. You know, previous to these these twenty two lawsuits, he had nothing on his on his resume. You know, no, nothing bad. He took Clemson to the mountaintop, taking over the league outside of Patrick Mahomes. He's been one of the top two, three, four quarterbacks. Um, so initially, I was very supportive of the dude. Now it's coming out. You know, this guy that had about fifteen massage therapists, a new one every month. Meanwhile, the team offers a massage therapist. So at this point, I'm like. I can't even defend you, bro. Like, even even if the Texans are behind it, like, you didn't do yourself any favors. And he's and admitted was, to, at this point, his lawyer, Rusty Harden, who represented Roger Clemens, has admitted to that he's yes. had sex with these. Or and, or that he he sought out women for sexual favors. Right. So he's right. saying everything was consensual. And I think it's come out now that some of them aren't even certified therapists, massage therapists. Right. So, he was just looking people up on Instagram. Exactly. So, it was, you know, so, that, so that's where we are with him. So, uh, needless to say, we got to let it play out, but he won't be going uh, in anybody's top fantasy picks for sure because uh, yeah. I don't know he'll see the daylight. Um, other news we had, we're going to hop around a little bit. Let's get to basketball. First big thing was uh, Jamal Murray went down, torn ACL. He's out for the That's huge. That's huge, right? Denver made it to the Western Conference Finals. Right, off of him and Jokic, right? Like, exactly. And, yeah, you added Aaron Gordon, but realistically speaking, without him, the driver – of, of that offense, nobody expects really big things. And another reason I say it's huge is because with the injuries for the Lakers, right now you had the Nuggets and the Lakers at four and five. I don't know how much longer it's going to be before um, AD and LeBron come back, but you were potentially set up for the Lakers to have to play the Nuggets in the first round, a team that they had seen in the Western Conference Championship. And, you know, that was going to be a good series. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, with with the with the Lakers and AD and LeBron, the the, the Clippers with uh, Paul George and, and Kawhi. Now the Nuggets are the Utah Jazz playing really well, number one seed right now. Jazz, uh, the Nuggets are out of it, and I think it also speaks to like just the the LeBron's legacy of how long he's doing what he's done. You know, without right. getting hurt, without suffering a career and the, the season ended injury. So, um, you know, I hope Jamal Murray comes back next season. But but that's that's a Devastating injury for the Nuggets as a franchise, especially you know this year specifically. Uh, also, big news in the NBA: KD. He's getting into it with, with Shannon Sharp right now on social media. Who doesn't like Uncle Shay? <laughs> Shay Shay. Like who? Who? For who argues with Shannon Sharp? And and mind you, you saying, but we, this is on the heels of him and Michael Rappaport. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say. So, what's, what's your thoughts, real quick? KD Rappaport. Sensitive, both of them, both of them <laughs> sensitive. Like, like Rappaport was crying on skipping Shannon what? the other day. He had to be joking, bro. Did I thought he was joking. Acting. I thought he was acting. Like, that I thought was it was bullshit. like, uh, I thought it was uh, Jerry. Oh. Jerry. Yeah, yeah, what was the guy who used to be on Saturday Night Live, the crazy comedian that uh, that uh, 
they made a movie about. Anyway, he would do that type of sketch type stuff, yeah. almost like Borat or something. I yeah. thought that's what Michael Rappaport was I thought he was bullshit. There's no way this dude is serious. But then apparently he was saying that like he didn't like KD going after his wife. And then when he's in the streets, people are talking shit to him. Listen, Michael Rappaport to me is a troll. And yes. we've accepted you as a troll for a long time. Right. And so when you play the role of the troll, you don't get to come back and be emotional when it all finally comes back on you at some point. So in that situation, I thought KD went a little far. I'm like, bro, why do you care so much? Like, why are you arguing with a, a B-rated movie actor who hasn't been in a movie in like <laughs> five to 10 years? Like, Whose best now, movie was Higher Learning. Right, like where he years. played like a white supremacist. <laughs> yes, like, what yes. are we talking about? <laughs> Um, so I just was like, what is KD doing? Why does he engage people like this on social media? Right. Um, and I know on some other interviews, he said that he'd be high sometimes when he <laughs> does that. So I always have to wonder, like, has this dude been smoking again? Because why else would you care so much? With the uh, Shannon Sharp thing, he's calling Shannon Sharp out because he says Shannon Sharp is quoting him for something that was always a fake quote. I, again, I get being annoyed by this stuff, right. but at a certain point, like, maybe if you was playing some games instead right. of riding the wave of, LaMarcus Aldridge, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and everybody else Blake Griffin. Signed yeah. to form the Avengers or the Justice League <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. Like maybe if you actually needed to play to make the playoffs and become the one seed, you wouldn't so be, be so invested in arguing on social media with all of these famous and, people. And when you keep making moves to the best teams in the league to combine forces, you become the topic of attention. Like right. you're bringing attention to yourself. Like if, right. if you didn't want attention, you should have stayed in Oklahoma City. Right. You go right. to a 73 Warriors team and, and to, they're gonna uh, talk about you. They're gonna talk about you. That, and that's what you want. You go and play in Brooklyn, you know, you're gonna play in the Bay with, with you know big fans, a lot of fans. So, like that's that's what you want. You want to be covered, but then you're mad at the coverage. Like you can't right. have no way. Rappaport, though, that was a whole move. Like you can't post release the conversation. Private DMs. Yeah, when right. you've been dogging the man on national television, because right. he goes on undisputed a lot, uh, right. and other FS1 shows. So Definitely. In in the big three. I mean, it's not like, you know, he commentates on the big three and he almost got his ass kicked by Katino Mobley and some (laughs) other people there, too. So, like, this isn't the first time. Stop acting surprised. Right. Uh, And then another thing I want to to cover. Uh, I'm I'm excited. You was kind of hating on him. You you was low-key hating. Tennessee State hires (laughs) Eddie George to become the next. This is a complete this is a complete copycat move. Like. But the thing is, Dion had been coaching his son's high school football team and his son. That was a high level team. Right. I haven't heard. Maybe I'm ignorant, but I know of no coaching experience for Eddie George. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, And to that, I'll reply. Name me one of name me any Tennessee (laughs) state head coach in the history of the program. Todd Bowles got his start at Morehouse. So sometimes people don't know you till, you know. You make a name for yourself later. You got to start somewhere. So maybe there's some Tennessee state coaches down the line that will make a name for themselves. But Eddie George, I do not know to have any coaching experience. And so like like we just talked to Walt, like all this stuff about fundraising matters. He's big in the Tennessee area. The Titans, you know, is where he was for the majority of his career. But to me, it just kind of seems like a stretch. I think that Dion, you know, he was primed to make the move. No pun no intended. Um to, to coaching. I thought, you know, it was crazy that he became a head coach right off the bat, but I don't know anything about any coaching experience for Eddie George. Listen, there's, there's coaches in, in professional sports, the NBA, NFL, who've never played football past high school. So the pedigree, mm-hmm. Heisman Trophy winner, um, 
you know, potential down the line Hall of Famer. You know, maybe rookie the, of the year, rookie the year, maybe the best time Tennessee Pro Titans. Bowler, All yeah. Pro, all maybe like, the best won every Titans award player. in college football. Yeah. Correct, correct. Like just the pedigree itself. I think what Jackson State did with hiring Dion did more than just put the spotlight on him. It brought in resources. Dion has the connections, like you said, much to Walt's point, right? Dion has the connections and resources to Under Armour, to um, you know, different television, you know, um, re uh, relationships. So same with Eddie George. He's been an analyst on Fox for college athletics. So I'm sure he's spoken with a lot of the sponsors. I'm, you know, I'm sure he had an apparel deal when he was playing, uh, you know, at Nike with Ohio state. And then in, in, in NFL, I'm not sure who he was with, but I'm sure he had an apparel deal. So with the hiring of Eddie George brings resources that frankly we've talked about, right? Like that's a lot of the HBCU struggle is that they don't have the resources, the funding to invest. Um, and that's why we were so hard on Howard when, when, uh, McCore maker, Chose, chose to go there because they didn't have the resources in case something like what happened, he got injured uh, to, to help him, you know, train, develop, get better and get healthy enough to play. So I love, I love the move. I love the move and uh, we'll see what happens. And they are two and five, by the way. So I guess there's the old adage, like ain't nowhere to go, but up they're second yeah. to last in their, there you their go. division. There you so. go. Home run high Tennessee state, <laughs> the Ohio Valley conference. There you go. Um, Listen, that's about all we got. Uh, anything to cover before we get out of here? Uh, we didn't do winners and losers this week, but if we had uh, <laughs> Hubert Davis, I think, <laughs> will be the loser of the black community. By far. For By the far. way he handled that question about what it means to him to be a black man, being the first black coach, basketball coach at the University of North Carolina, how he found a way to segue into his white wife and his mixed and being children. Proud. And being yeah. proud of his the fact that he has a white wife and mixed yeah. children. That I just don't – it was about you. The question right. was about you, boss. Right. It's about you being the first black head coach at University of North Carolina's basketball program. So uh, he took a huge L on that. Uh, if you sure. on the, yeah, sure. donkey today, whatever you want to call him, uh, <laughs> do do better, brother. Do better. Yeah, and and in, in the inverse, the winner would have been Eddie George. <laughs> Oh, and, and, you know, I don't have any bingeables. We better get out of here. But I would recommend that everybody watch that uh, Mike Tyson podcast with Tommy Hitman Hearns, oh, I got Sugar Shane Mosley. Bro, it was hilarious. It was just like watching your old drunk uncles because they smoke on this. Sugar Ray Leonard, yeah. Yeah, Sugar Ray Leonard and Tommy Hearns just argued the whole time. I thought they were going to start fighting right there on the couch. Uh, <laughs> that, that's oh, my my recommended watch. I got one show. I, I binge watched The Servant. Um, it's supposed to be like a you know it's the M Night Sh Shyamalan uh, show mm -hmm. on uh, yeah Apple TV. It's a it's kind of like horror suspense thriller. It's pretty good. It's kind of I'm kind of over it though. It's, it, it needs to end. It's got one mm -hmm. season and it's gone. Also, other than that, uh, Mighty Ducks Game Changes on Disney Plus. You know, watch my son. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you watch Mighty Ducks growing up, you'll love this show. You know, nostalgic. Bring, bring back a lot of good memories. So uh, other than that, man, we out. I want to thank Walt and Crossover Collective again for joining the pod. Appreciate them dropping that knowledge and, and looking forward to seeing his work in the, in the future. And uh, again, rest in peace to DMX. Uh, yeah. Another one of those. This is for my nigga Q. Down to earth. Go in peace, baby. You know how we roll. There's so many that don't know. This is up for my nigga Q.